Good morning. Our scripture reading for today begins in or at John chapter 18, verse 1 through John chapter 19, verse 16. If you're using the Pewback Bibles in front of you, you can find that on page 904. John chapter 18. You pray for my allergies, I'll read for you, and we'll hear it together. Following what's called the high priestly prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if what I said is right? Why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. 
It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Kabatha. That was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jeff. I was sitting there just reading my Bible and just realized that I just looked up and was like, I just want to hear him, him read it to me. He's such a great reader. I'm so thankful for all of our scripture readers, but I think Jeff may 
narrate my audio book um, when I finish it. So it's either him or Matthew McConaughey, I'm not sure. All right, all right, he said. Hey, good morning. My name's Orion Barrage. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross, and we're continuing in John, and we've been there for a year, and, um, and it's just been a great book, and I'm sort of, you know, excited for the ending, but also sort of a little bit sad for the ending, um, and, and today we're, we're trying to catch up a little bit um, because where we're at in John, we've, we've jumped around a minute, like, so, so at Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, we hit that in our series without trying, just a sovereign work of God, I guess. Like, we just hit the triumphant entry naturally in our series. And then and then we did um, Easter, and we, we sort of jumped ahead because in John's gospel, as we've seen, um, he, he spreads out the last day of Jesus' life, and we've been doing that for months. We've been hearing the upper room discourse and all those things that Jesus wanted to leave with his disciples. He start, he sort of stopped his public ministry and he and he and he he, he began to just minister to the to the small group of, of, of disciples that he had and he wanted to deposit so much in them and we've benefited from that over the last several months. But but we're catching up this morning. We're we're back into this um, this this part of of, of the text where we're like get to experience Easter again. Well, we, we just sort of heard Good Friday and, 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 and what happened in the betrayal and, and in, the, um, in, the, in the courts and in the trial of Jesus. And that's important. It's, it's so important for us to hear that again to gain the context a little bit of all that Jesus has been talking to his disciples. Like it's important to see what he saw coming and what he knew he was facing so that he could tell these disciples how important these truths are. And so it's important that we feel that a little bit this morning as we're rounding out the text. We have the next three weeks, I think, we we wrap up and there's just a few conversations that John lets us into to see in his gospel some really important stuff. Um, but we know that this, this trial wasn't the end of it. He was delivered to be crucified, and he was crucified, and he did die on that cross, and he was buried, and he did rise again three days later. And, and that's what we celebrate, not just the life of Jesus that was perfectly lived for you, but his death that paid for your debt, your sin, your shame, and his resurrection that gives us new life. And it gives us some pretty important realities that we're going to look at today. We've been, we've been preaching our way through the Gospel of John this past year, and John wrote his account of Jesus' life by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just what John thought should go in there. It's what God thought should go in there and the words that God thought he should use. And so he included what was in the heart of God to include. And that's the way we receive it today. That's the way that we receive God's word today. And we're encouraged by it. Although John's purpose isn't strictly to encourage you. Like that's not the purpose that he says that he wrote for. It is, it is an encouragement, but it's not strictly the reason. And there's so much wisdom that we've gained in this book. Like there's so much truth and wisdom about who God is and who you are and how you should live your life. 
But that's not strictly why John wrote his gospel. In fact, John tells us why he wrote, the purpose that he wrote this gospel was so that you and I and all who read it would believe in Jesus. And that's the most important thing this morning. The most important thing maybe in our lives is that we would believe in the person and the work of Jesus, in his life, in his death, in the resurrection, in him being exalted and sitting at the right hand of God in, in power and glory and the spirit of God being sent to the church. It's, it's to believe in that, to believe in Jesus. That's what we're here to do today. What I want to do today is I want to dive deep into a little piece of this text that you heard. Um, I want to, to, to take some focus, and, and I want to focus on one little piece this morning, because I think it's super valuable. Um, I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours in the woods hunting. Maybe thousands, I, I, I haven't counted, but a lot, a lot of time, a lot of time of my life in the woods hunting. And when you're hunting, you can sit in the woods and you can be looking at the same landscape for a whole day. And as the day goes by, that landscape just changes right before your eyes, like where the sun moves across the sky or clouds come out. And it, it can almost just look hour by hour like a very different place that you're in. And so I, I like to do something, I get my field scope out, and, or like binoculars, uh, or your scope, and, and look and like zoom in to certain um, attributes of the landscape, to look at the topography, to look at creeks, to look at how a tree looks, but zoom in so I can like see it real close, so that, so that when everything is sort of changing, I would really know by zooming in what that looked like. And that's what we're wanting to do today. We're wanting to, there's places in scripture where it's beautiful to just go through large amounts of scripture reading. And you see the arc of theology. You see systematic theology. You see biblical doctrine. You see what we call the meta-narrative, the arc of scripture and all the stories and how they connect to this one God and this one plan. Like that's beautiful work. But there's times where we need to zoom in. There's times where zooming in actually is going to cause such beauty and, and a sort of centeredness on the way that God is speaking to us. And I believe that that's what we want to do today. That kind of thing changes us. It strengthens us. It makes us stronger. It makes us see some element of God that we're just not seeing. And so that's what we want to do this morning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, um, we, we want to be self-sufficient. We want to be strong. We want to be sturdy in life. God, we do a lot of things in our life that help us feel smart and resilient and safe and secure. We do a lot of things. And while I think like many of those things in this world are good, I think we often get carried away relying on them instead of you. God, that worries me today as I, as I think about um, this text and I think about your kingdom. I think about when I'm tempted to make other alliances 
in this world rather than to um, rather to, than to be united to the identity of a citizen of heaven? Like I, I pray God that through this text you would lift up our eyes, that you would help us see no matter what we're in, no matter what situation or season that we're in, that we are citizens of heaven. God, like, would we hear the, the, the noise and smell the smells of your kingdom this morning? Open our eyes where we're like so focused on the realities of this world. Situate our troubles and our lives in the light of this finished work on the cross. God, we pray for that. Lord, we accept your words today. May they change us. Help me to glorify you as I speak. Fill these words with love and truth and your spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So I want to look at chapter 18, verse 33, where Jesus, in that, in that little discourse that we heard, um, Jesus goes before Pilate, and Pilate's the governor, right? He's not a Jewish leader, he's a Roman leader, and he's the governor of that area, okay? And so the, the Jews do their thing with them, and they're like, man, you know, we, got, we need some other strategy. And what we heard is their strategy was to take him before Pilate and see if Pilate could do their bidding. And so this is, this is what I want us to focus on here in verse 33 of chapter 18. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? So Pilate seems like almost an unwilling participant in the events here. He tries to question the Jews, and they persist that this, is, uh, this Jesus is a threat to the kingdom, right? Like, he's a threat to Rome. He's a threat to your governorship. Like, that's what they're selling. In reality, Jesus is a threat to the Jews. Like, he's a, he's a threat to the leaders. They felt threatened by him. They, they felt like they were in danger of losing control. The, the Jewish leaders felt like their whole religion might change. They enjoyed place and power, and all of that was threatened. But they couldn't do anything to him. They couldn't do anything to Jesus. And the reason that they couldn't do anything to Jesus is because the people loved him. Who wouldn't love Jesus? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. Like, who wouldn't love him? Only those who were threatened by him wouldn't love him. So, so that he was so wildly popular by now. He was so popular. 
that, that there was nothing that they could do. They couldn't touch him. They were afraid to do it. And, and they were afraid of the people. And so they, they couldn't do anything. The second reason is because it's against their law. It was literally against their law to kill Jesus. They could flog him. They could give him all kinds of discipline. Like, but they couldn't kill him. And so, like, this is their problem. And so they needed the Romans to do it. The pretense that they give Pilate is that he thinks of himself as a king. That's the pretense. And, and so Jesus goes before Pilate, but I want us to focus on what Jesus says. I want us to focus on this, this idea that the passage tells us about the kingdom of God. About the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Jesus. And I just want to point out three things from this passage that I think um, it's not just theological, okay? It's not just theological. This is everyday practical for your life. Three things that I want to point out this morning, and then we'll finish. Number one, what this passage tells me is that Jesus is the source of everything that is about the kingdom. Jesus is the source. He's the source of understanding God's kingdom. Like, the first thing that transpires is Pilate asks Jesus if he's a king, and Jesus asks him, who told you that? Who told you I was the king? Like, immediately, Pilate has knowledge about Jesus' kingship and his kingdom, and, and he asks the question, and Jesus sort of takes it, like, takes it against him that he would ask the question. He's like, what do you know about my kingdom? Who's put into your brain what kind of king I am, what kind of kingdom I have? You see, he knows it was the Jews, and this is... No new idea. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God for a long, long time. And so have his disciples. It's, it's all over the Gospels. Matthew 4.17. From, yeah, 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 6.10. Jesus prays, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. John 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In Luke 10, he sends out his disciples, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. All over the, the Gospels, we see Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he's doing. And the Jews thought that they had the corner on the market for God's kingdom. You see, like, that's the problem here in this moment that we're facing is that the Jewish leaders thought that they cornered the market on the kingdom of God, that they believed that they controlled it, that they determined it, that, that they knew the kingdom's constitutions, its laws, its culture, and who gets to be a part of God's kingdom and who doesn't get to be a part of his kingdom. They thought they had that. And Pilate's question and Jesus' answers tells us that Jesus is not outsourcing his authority in his kingdom to these people. He's not doing that. He tells us 
that the kingdom is not some loose construction. Like that's, that's what this tells us. It's something that's part of Christ. It's, it's, it's Jesus inaugurating this real reality. And he gets to define it. Jesus does. He gets to determine everything about it. He's the best source of the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus is. So it doesn't matter what you think about the kingdom of God or what I think about the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the Jewish leaders thought about the kingdom of God or Pilate thought about the kingdom of God. Jesus is the source. He is the source for our understanding of the kingdom of God. We don't isolate biblical passages so that we can sort of shape them into something that's comfortable for us. Jesus is the source of his kingdom. And the way that Jesus preaches the good news of the kingdom of God should be listened to, should be paid attention to, because the gospel's the blazing center of the kingdom. The gospel itself is the blazing center of the kingdom of God. It's the good news. It's the good news of his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his powerful, real resurrection. Like that is the blazing center. It's where we get our name, King's Cross. It's why we organize the activities of this church and our disciple making into kingdom life and kingdom culture and kingdom institute and kingdom mission. It's why we, we pay attention like that because it's, it's Jesus' kingdom. So how great and important it is and how necessary is that uh, interaction with Pilate to show us that even though they've captured Jesus and they think they've squashed his rival kingdom, they do not control it. They do not control it. He will always be in control of it. And he is our source of understanding for what the kingdom is. Which brings us to our second reality in verse 6. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom's not from the world. Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. Like, we have to wrap our minds and our hearts and our lives around this reality. Like, all of Jesus' life all he's been dealing with with people, they're wanting to integrate his kingdom into their world, right? Like it's just like, let's, let's incorporate what you're doing into what we want. Like that's the, been the reality of his whole life. And, and he's making it clear before all the people, before Pilate, before you and I, that his kingdom is holy. It's other than. John sees it as, as, a, as, a, as a city that's coming down to earth. A new type of Jerusalem. The, the, the imagery in the Bible is that it's, it's set apart from this world and it's coming into a true reality here. And so that tells us that the only possible real relationship with God's kingdom is from the inside of it. It's the only possible real relationship. So the Jews and Pilate, they're trying to relate to Jesus' kingdom they're fr- from the outside of it. From the outside of it. And they won't get it. They're in opposition to it. They don't accept it. They don't understand it. It's alien to them. 
And for good reason, because as Jesus said, it's not of this world. It's, it's actually going to be difficult for humans to understand what the kingdom of God is. It's going to be difficult for us to live in this kingdom as citizens of the kingdom. It's going to be difficult for us because it's not of this world and we're accustomed to this world, to all of this world's rules, cultures, realities. So it will be hard. It's not just a problem for them. It's a problem for Christians in every age. This reality, you see that and you, you, you sort of see Jesus saying to Pilate, it's not of this world, and you sort of agree to it because you know that's right. You've been in the church a while and you read your Bible and you're like, okay, but, but you sort of can lose the significance that that also means that it's hard for me every day to live as a citizen of it because I've been born and reared and raised in a whole other economy, a whole different one. The center of my life has been me-centered for so long? How do I live in this new reality where it's king-centered, where it's Christ-centered? The Bible speaks of the kingdom of God in Mark 1 that it is at hand. If there's any doubt for you that Jesus' words that it's not of this world means that it's not now, you should expel those lies from your mind right now. Because Mark says that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is at hand. Jesus told his disciples that I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In Matthew. Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore let us be grateful. Let us be grateful, Christians, this morning. For we, for we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Not that we're going to receive a kingdom. You have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So the kingdom is not a distant reality. It's a present reality. It's a present reality. Jesus inaugurated this a kingdom, and there's one day where it will be in finality. It will be the eternal kingdom in finality in its fullness, in its fullness. What this tells me, though, is that we live in this paradox of two kingdoms. Like, the reality is God's kingdom is not of this world, and the world is its own kingdom. It's its own man-centered, rebellious way of doing things without God. And, and we, are, we, are, we are sort of straddling those two things. Um, uh, 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 Augustine called it two cities. They're two cities, the city of man, the city of God. Like the, That's the idea um, that we're talking about here. And we want to be a part of God's kingdom. But in order to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to believe the gospel. You have to believe in Jesus' death. And you have to believe in new, new life. You have to repent of the life that you've been living and turn to God and want to be a part of what he's doing. And yet it can still be very hard for us. It can still be very hard, though we confess Christ, we believe in the gospel, we, we try to live um, like the Bible calls us to live. It can still be really hard for you and I every day. Because it's, 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 it's sort of this um, weird thing, right, that Jesus talks about. It's more organic than it is institutional. 
He talks about uh, the kingdom of God's more like a seed. It works like leaven in bread, like it's secretly, it's invisibly, it's surprisingly emerging amongst the church, right? Like that's how it works. And it's very different than the world. Its constitution and its laws are God's character and God's purposes. It was hard for the Jews of that day, and it's hard for us now. It's hard for us now. So Pilate responds to Jesus, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And so the last thing that that I want you to hear about this text is that um, in this, Jesus reveals his purpose. In this text, he reveals his kingdom purpose. Jesus came to show us that we've been living apart from this kingdom. We've been living apart from it. We've been living in this kingdom of the world. and, and, And he came to show you and he came to show me the truth. That his life, that his death, that his resurrection, they're truer and clearer realities than what we've been living in. He's breaking into humanity's rebellion and he's showing by the truth of his his light and his life that there is a better way. That there there is a salvation way. There's a way for us to be saved from darkness. There's a way for us to be rescued from the sin that's so entrenched in our humanity. He wants to break in and show us his kingdom both for the purpose of saving us but to bring us into it. To bring us now as the church in harmony with God's kingdom. That's what God wants to do through the gospel wants to see that all your work and all your relationships and all of your school and all of your friendships and society and politics and art and music and food and how you spend your time and the values that you hold and all of creation has been separated, has been separated from God's kingdom by sin, by sin. By the entrance of human rebellion into creation, we have been separate from this, king, from this kingdom, and we are part of the kingdom of this world. And Jesus is saying that it's through me that you find that again. It's through me that you, that you return to like your created order, to where you would glorify God by your life, and that you would love God, and that God would love you, and that you would be at peace with God, that you would enter into what we call shalom. Like that's through the gospel. That's the good news of this kingdom of God. Where God's order and his love are pervasive and we live in that. Jesus is saying it's through me that you find that again. I bear witness to the truth. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And the way that you think about everything Apart from me, marriage, family, purpose, morality, sexuality, what's good, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, all of it. You're disconnected from the truth in your fallen state. You're disconnected. And my plan, 
by my way and my character and my life is to awaken you to the truth. Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And listening to Jesus is what separates our lives from the kingdom of this world. Listening to him. Hey, like this is for you, Christian. Like every day of your life, this is for you. Listening to Jesus is what separates you from the kingdom of this world. That's what, that's what separates you from it. That's what puts you into a place of righteousness and holiness to be set apart by the truth. Jesus' purpose was to show us this truth, to show you the truth of the kingdom, its reality. He reveals it in this, just this little discourse with Pilate. Paul says it this way in Colossians. He says, Jesus, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's how Paul talks about it. It's in Colossians. We're going to be there. I can't wait. It's the only great thing about ending John is we get to go to Colossians for me. So, like, that's how Paul talks about this. And so, how, how is it useful to us? Again, the kingdom of God is already. It's already at hand. Jesus says it's already among my first disciples. And it's still coming one day in finality. And you live in the gap. You live in the gap. And the gap is where the church is to behold and to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's where we live. In this, in this age of the church, it's where we live as kingdom of God citizens and ambassadors. And the church is the primary way in which people in the world will experience the kingdom of God. It's the primary way. So it is imperative for every believer in every church to see themselves and behave like citizens of heaven. Of God's kingdom. It's important. So the kingdom of God's already, it's amongst us. Wherever the spirit of God is, it unites us to God's kingdom. Number two, we forget that what we're doing right now, like no matter how insignificant you might think that your current job or season of life is, the kingdom of God brings a reality that, that makes no job, no season, nothing irrelevant or insignificant. You're a part of God's kingdom. You're a part every day of how God is bringing that reality to this world. To create a whole new world. You're a part of that. There's no part of your life, there's no season of your life that is insignificant. Though, though it may feel like it. And I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't feel like it. It feels like it. It really does. You're going to feel that this summer on sabbatical. You, there are seasons in our lives where we're just like, ah, I, I'm not doing anything good. Like anything important or whatever. The kingdom of God reality, when we live as citizens, citizens of it, it removes any idea of insignificance. 
The kingdom of God is the church's inheritance. It's, it's the way that we put on the royal robes and the, and, and the ring on us and feast at the Father's table. It's the life of the Spirit of God that unites us and brings value and ministry and holy priesthood to everything that we do. That's all of us that believe in Christ. That's a reality. Don't forget that this week. Number three, and this is it, we, we must wake up each morning. We must wake up each morning of our lives and choose which kingdom. I'm, I'm an expert at living in the kingdom of the world. Don't even have to think about it. It's automatic for me. Since I was born, I've been doing that. So you have to wake up every morning of your lives and choose which kingdom. It's not lost on me that you have a choice to wake up from your unconscious state, your slumber, and attach your day and your life to God's kingdom. It doesn't feel like a choice. Maybe the alarm goes off, you hit the shower. It's just automatic. It's just automatic. But you have to wake up each morning. And if you don't believe in Christ, like if you don't believe in Jesus, you've not, um, you've not surrendered your life to the, to the gospel. If you don't believe in the good news, like your, your choice is the same every day. Every single day from now until the day of your death, you, you have a choice to make. To wake up, to believe in Christ, and to live for his kingdom. Either to continue in the kingdom of this world, which Paul calls darkness. Or to wake up to the glorious light of the truth. To, to enter into the kingdom of his beloved son and to live as a citizen, a holy priest, a son and a daughter. Every day you have that choice. Every day, no matter what your day is, you don't know what your day is going to be like. But you can choose every day how you're going to live and where you're going to live from, Christ-centered or me-centered. Choose which kingdom today. John Edwards said, the seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business of the Christian life. The seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business. So it's not just a choice, but we're pursuing that reality. In every situation, in all of our lives, we're pursuing it. And the only way, the only way that the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way that we live as citizens of heaven. Jesus has just given us a little peek. He, he's zooming in in a moment with John's gospel to help us see it, something that's happening. Yeah, there's a beating and there's a crucifixion. All that's super important, right? Like, but, but we get to see for a minute why it's happening. And we get to see a truer reality than the blood and everything else that's happening and the hate and the stuff that's transpiring. He zooms in for just a minute for, to, to, to help us see what's really happening. The kingdom of this world is fighting its last fight before he puts it to its death and defeats sin and death and invites a whole um, society, a whole people from every tribe and tongue and language to be his, 
Like that's, that's what we get to zoom in and see as Jesus shows us his kingdom. And then we get to live in that reality no matter what is happening around us this morning. And your chief business, Christian, your chief business is to seek the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for John's gospel. We thank you for just like even, even little um, discourses like this and conversations like this where um, you, you point out something that we just take for granted. So Lord, help us as we, as we stand, Lord, and help us as we worship and help us as we come to the table um, to, to, to see your broken body and your shed blood. Help us to understand the price and the cost of your deliverance out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved son. So Lord, I pray that as we come to the table, we'd be making the choice to live more fully, to to be more awake in your kingdom. Today, this week, help us to do that by the Spirit's power. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.